I am Lucas Mack, and welcome to another episode of The Golden Rule Revolution, where inspiration and purpose come from treating people like people and nothing less. Today, I have a great conversation with psychotherapist Jody Amon. She's also a TEDx speaker and an author who helps people overcome anxiety. This is a great conversation you won't want to miss. Jody, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. How are you today? I'm great. You are you are a breath of fresh air. That's uh, I for everyone listening. Jody um, and I got connected through a mutual friend, and I'm going to give her website at the end of the podcast. We'll put it in the show notes. She is someone I think everyone needs to follow, engage with her content read her book. She's a, she's just a bright light in this world. And I'm honored that you're joining the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. That's so sweet. Tell us about your story. How did you get in? Um, how did you get into the line that you're doing, helping people find themselves and find love and healing and, and getting rid of anxiety? Yeah. Well, I've been doing this for a long time. I, I think I take, take me back to high school when I was struggling myself, you know, with a lot of anxiety and depression and feeling just so lonely um, and struggling and just really like find no, I felt like nobody understood. I felt that isolation that people feel when they feel depressed. Um, I had very chaotic family life, but to the outside, it looked so normal that everyone was like jealous of me, you know, which makes you feel more alone. Yes. And um, you get that. Yes, I get that. So um, I decided, oh my gosh, I, could, I was volunteering a lot in high school and that was really where I felt most like me. And so I decided to go into social work. Um, so I went right through college and grad school and graduated with my social work degree when I was 24 and started this career of helping people uh, understand themselves, understand the world. After a while of doing therapy as a psychotherapist, after a while, you kind of realize that people are asking spiritual questions like, why does bad things happen? Why do people do stuff like that? You know, those kind of are more, those are more like bigger questions. Mm -hmm. And so I started to get into more spiritual psychology and just understanding the universe and studied shamanism and in all kinds of energy healing to give my clients a, 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 you know, just a bigger array of ways. I feel like there's so many different ways to heal, you know, to bring that love in. And some people need different avenues because fear blocks a lot of avenues yes. for people. And so I needed like this toolbox so that if I was blocked one way, I could see if I could get a through way, a different way. Um, I studied narrative therapy and shamanism, like I said, and different energy techniques. And um, yeah, so I'm a little eclectic at this point, but I just love it. I just kind of understand when you work with people for 20, so I've been doing this 25 years. Um, And so when you just, you know, people's secrets for so long, you really get a good understanding of people. And so when I do my videos, people are like, how do you know this stuff? Mm. They know me. Like I've never told anybody. How How did you put this video up? It's just for me. Mm. And I'm like, you're not alone, honey. Like a lot of people feel like you do. That's why. Mm. But um, yeah. What in all your experience, what are some of the main causes? Because this is what I would like to, 
talk about not just with you, but bring to the surface in this country, what are the causes that create fear, anxiety, and pain in people? What are some of the main uh, causes? I mean, what, what is the systemic behavior that is continuing to produce the exact same result we've had since it seems like the beginning of time? What is it? I, I think there is a difference. You know, there, I think there is a difference. I'd love to speak to that, like why mm. it's becoming pandemic, why anxiety is increasing. I, I do think that there's a difference because yeah. there is this historic, this obviously humanic, human, human history of biological. I mean, we have a biological fear response. Mm. So obviously the, it's been throughout history. I mean, our brain evolved to have this fear response to protect us for in survival situations. Um, but if you think about that, like if you think about in history, if, if you're wanders and, you know, we're um, hunter gatherers and we, if there was something weird, if things felt off, if you felt a weird noise and you weren't sure, all of that can indicate danger. So confusion, a funny feeling, weird situation, all of that triggers our fear response because evolutionarily, like we needed it to do that. It's pretty yeah. amazing yeah. process that we have. But um, so, yeah, so there's, so there's a whole biological piece. But what I see happening that's kind of feeding this anxiety pandemic, is there's three things that I look at that are feeding it for young people. Um, and I just finished a TEDx talk um, on this and I, I gave these three things, but one is, you know, I think social media does play a role. I, I you know, some people say it's the, the biggest thing, but it is a role because there's this, we have a comparison culture and this exaggerates it, you know, to compare ourselves to other people. And we are always lower. We always judge ourselves as lower than everyone else. Hmm. And so, you know, our self-esteem and this is since like modern operations of modern power. This is Michel Foucault stuff. Like we used to have traditional power, which there was a leader and told us how to think and how to feel. And now with modern power in our world today, like we are judged by our peers hmm. and we're so worried that we are going to be left out and not belonging that we really want to make sure we live up to the standards that our peers say that will make us belong. Um, and so we are, that's why we have this comparison culture. It's like, am I normal? Am I okay? Am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Am I cool enough? You know, these enoughs is, is a real cultural thing that's happened since, you know, um, Western culture, modern culture kind of changed this for us. It's a huge problem because when we have this judgment, we are always less than, and when we don't like ourselves, we don't trust ourselves. Hmm. And if we don't like ourselves, we don't have any faith in ourselves that we could do. If something bad happens, we're not going to be able to handle it because we can't even be cool enough to like, <laughs> or we're not smart enough. Like we're not cool enough. Like we're just not enough. So what are we going to do if something bad happens? This is the biggest root of our anxiety is like, I don't think I could handle something bad because I'm not good enough. So hmm. our connection between how we think about ourselves is the biggest culprit in, in, um, in the anxiety pandemic. So that's one. Hmm. Um, this, the second one is, um, you know, there's, we see so much tragedy 
on video and TV and movies. And in human history, we, did, we, were, we were present in a situation. If there was something that our, kicked up our adrenaline, we were right there and we could use up our adrenaline in the mm. situation. Now we see it on TV and we, we see these horrible things and we're just like helpless on our couch. And that helplessness actually stimulates more adrenaline. And we just sit there feeling more helpless and kind of rolling the thoughts over and over and begin to panic and continue to panic. So that's two. And the third one is, this is kind of from my observations over the years is I think commercialism, to be honest, has a huge impact because we have all these commercials saying like, you get this just for being you. And we are not learning cause and effect. We're not learning, like we're, we're losing that work ethic that we have to do something to get something. And without understanding you have to do something to get something, you have no, kids are growing up not connected to their skills. Like they don't feel like they have any, they don't like themselves because they're not good enough. And then they're not connected to any skills they have. Um, they're afraid to do hard stuff because they're afraid that they can't. And then, the, and, and so it just perpetuates this idea that they feel powerless and if something bad happens, they're powerless. Like it's terrified and kids are just feeling so powerless. And obviously adults are too. You see it in every age. Um, we just feel so powerless in the world. And so to counter that, we have to show people the power that they have. They had it all along. They've always had it. They still have it, but they just don't see it anymore because of all of this cultural uh, message. That, that's, that's my take. What do that's you think? I, I think it's beautiful. <laughs> this it's a uh, so really the victim mindset that things happen to us and everything's happening to us and we have no power to stand on our own and influence exactly. what we want it causes that anxiety that's that's really that's really good you reminded me of um one of my one of my best friends is a former Navy SEAL, and he's been on this podcast. Really fascinating guy. He said there's two types of fear. There's rational and irrational fear. And he said, think of snakes. People have irrational fear of snakes that if you just bring up the word snake, they become afraid. And then there's the rational fear of a snake where you're walking on a path and a rattlesnake is coiled right in front of you. That's a rational fear because it actually can impact you. Said, yeah, I, yeah. Oh, go, go go. Oh, I was just going to say uh, he said there's two types of ways to mitigate your fear. You for the irrational, you learn more about snakes, where their habitat is. You make yourself more powerful in the knowledge you have. And then with the rational fear, you make yourself more powerful by putting something between you and the object by which you're afraid, so a stick or a rock. What do you think? Yeah. I, I like I don't like the idea of rational fear or rational fear hmm. because pe it's so confusing to people. <laughs> it is so confusing because they're like fear of death, but we're gonna die, so that's rational or irrational. I mean, it doesn't mm. make any right. That's good. So that's a good. little boy whose brother died of a disease and he's got the genetic things that he could get this disease too. Is his fear? Is his anxiety rational or irrational? Mm. Does that mean he's just destined to be anxious forever and and that's normal? So we just leave him like that. You know, so I, that, that's a problem for me. That's a rational fear. I mean, there's a fear response, right? So there's fear triggers. Mm. And our amygdala is triggered by uh, an emotional memory. And so when we think about a snake or see a snake, they both are triggered in the emotional memory. And you could untrigger that. But um, so, so we, that, like, there's fear that triggers this response. 
And then it should be transferred to our prefrontal cortex who decides if we're in danger or not. Hmm. And so the, so I just think of it in a more, I use different words because I feel like it's a little bit more practical and helpful for people to understand really what's going on instead of trying to make this judgment. Okay. Is this real? Is this a normal fear or abnormal fear? And yeah. then they're judging whether they're normal or not. Fear is a stimulus. Yeah, that's good. And it so gets maybe- you to respond. And so it's the response is like you decide I'm in danger or not in danger. Yeah, that's and good. Then, yeah, and if you're not in danger, literally, literally not in danger, sometimes you emotionally feel like you're in danger, and, um, but you're not literally in danger. So you really don't need the adrenaline when you're only in emotional danger. The adrenaline doesn't really help you. <laughs> it right. just hurts you. Uh, yeah, so that's that's my take on rational or rational. I think it's and sometimes people are like some anxiety is good because it motivates you. Mm-mm. It's mm. too confusing for people. When is fear good and when is fear not good? Making those twists on it. A fear is a stimulus. It could lead your response is the important part of it. But anxiety, as I define it, is the leftover fear response when there's no physical danger. So the mm. leftover adrenaline and the symptoms of that adrenaline when you're not in physical danger. We don't need anxiety at all. It's just suffering. It helps to really define it because people are like, well, I like it sometimes and not other times. <laughs> it's too, you know, sometimes anxiety is good. I don't know. That's really confusing for people because they want to keep it. Sometimes it's a friend. Sometimes it's a foe. Is that what you're saying? It's, yeah, it's, but yeah. Call it something else when it's a call it common sense when it's a friend, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and then call it anxiety when it's not just so we could distinguish it. Because some people are like, anxiety motivates me. If I didn't keep my anxiety, which causes them tons and tons of energy away from their work, uh, if I didn't have the anxiety, I wouldn't do as well in school or something like that, let's say. Hmm. And it's ridiculous because anxiety takes a m- so many more hours than the actual work. Why not just use one e- your motivation to get good grades motivate you? Anxiety doesn't motivate you. It holds you back. Yeah. Yeah. Keeps you stagnant. Keeps you present. Yeah. Unable to move. Right, it just zaps all your energy. Yeah, uh, yeah it often is a more more of a barrier to getting your work done. You delay your work. You know, maybe you end up getting it done because you want to that bad, but that doesn't mean the anxiety helped you get there. You have to like overcome the anxiety with that motivation to get good grades. Not everyone does it. Some people have that anxiety and just stop and mm. don't do anything. Hmm. But yeah, so so I, I like to have people have clarity on like what's good and what's bad for them. That's cool. That's, that's not cool. I'm, I don't know why I said that word because <laughs> I don't speak like that until I just did. Um, but that's powerful. That is um, empowering people to, to self-awareness and then making decisions. I was, um, I was in therapy for a couple of years and one of the first times I was ever with the therapist, I, cause I, I have, I was a scared seven-year-old boy in a 36-year-old body and I was a terror I mean everything that had happened I was I was I was terrified Mm -hmm. and yet on the outside successful family three kids business been a tv reporter you know been on tv you know all these things on the outside that look so good but on the inside I was just racked with with fear and yet I created a lot of momentum probably from that adrenaline to overcome the fear. So I knew I was stuck and then I would push so hard. But then once I pushed beyond 
when I was stuck, I really felt no control over the results. So I would just go. And I told the therapist, I said, kind of in a joking way, I was like, I only know one way and that's straight ahead. And he said to me something that rocked me. And I, I think it's so important. to. I think in this moment, I feel it's important to share with everyone. He said, the train will only go where the tracks lead it. Mm -hmm. And he said, if you're not able to adjust and adapt and move and be free to correct, you will only be compelled to go where the tracks, the fear will take you. (laughs) And that freed me up to think, wow, what else could I do? How, what other ways to look at things? How, Mm -hmm. you know, what are other pathways I can explore? Like freedom. It really was the first time someone said, you can be free. And unless you're free, you'll only default down the same path you've always gotten yourself, which is more fear. Right. It's like just staying in that survival mode. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. you, what, what, um, what, it, what was important for you in your journey of healing and overcoming? Was it studying shamanism? Was it going, um, you know, getting your going and getting your therapy and psychology degrees? What was it for you? Um, I think, I mean, I was a social worker and I was still having panic attacks and that I think it was my commitment, you know, when I had little kids and I felt like I was pulling back from, you know, my uh, kids and my husband because I had to be in my room and in bed because I was panicking or something. Mm-hmm. I realized like, this is not how I really wanted to live. First of all, I didn't want to live like that because it was so bad. I just would rather die than live that way. Yep. The anxiety yep. is so horrible. Yeah. But, um, but I also didn't want them to have to ha- like have a missing mom and a missing wife and not have that, um, you know, epic love that I wanted. And mm-hmm. so I committed to figuring out what I had to do, you know, to, to figure it out. So, you know, I went to mindfulness and Ayurveda and yoga and, mm-hmm. and I studied narrative therapy. I think narrative therapy really was what, what, you know, I kind of discovered these six steps to what, uh, what is that? Anxiety. Could you ex- could you explain? Because I've never heard that term, narrative therapy. What is that? Okay, so narrative therapy was, um, you know, in back in the eighties by Michael White and David Epstein, and they, it's it's really just a, it's a therapy, it's a modality of mm-hmm. doing psychotherapy where, you know, people, the assumption is that people are lives are multi-storied. So even there, there's a problem story in your life, like anxiety or I've been abused or whatever you, um, there's other stories going on, but sometimes that dominant story has the most airtime in our minds and our hearts and in our, like the way we structure our identity, like I'm a loser, I'm worthless. Mm. Um, and so that affects everything, right? It affects how we perform our, in our life, that story, that dominant story. So in, when, when I talk to people in therapy, I'm talking to them about the story they're coming in, the problem that they want, that they're devastated by and they're coming to therapy about. But I'm always listening for these other storylines. They all have them, but they've been subjugated by this dominant story of pain and worthlessness. And, and so I listen for those other stories and find traces in and begin to ask and we breathe life into those other stories where they, 
you know, care about other people or connect to other people or notice when people are sad and help them or they've saved like their younger siblings during an abusive situation or something, you know, or they connect you with a teacher. Um, and so we bring these, that those connections and then the skills that they had to survive that and what those skills say about what's important to them. And we kind of grow out of these stories, we kind of create new identities, more preferred identities that they, a place for them to stand. Hmm. And now, you know, then their lives are fuller. Cause like this one story is there's like an emptiness to it. There's no robustness because it's thin. It's like, I'm just a loser. I'm just a victim. And it's terrifying and powerless in that place. But when you bring these others, some of them are a few storylines about you, you're, you know, you love connection or you love the earth, you love animals, whatever. Um, bringing that out or you're a good, you're trusting person, whatever, um, gives them a real robust sense of self. And they connect with other people in their life that lift them up and, and have taught them these things and they have access to those skills now. So when something else bad happens, it's their own skills. It's not like CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. They teach you skills. Narrative therapy, we draw out the skills of person. People have skills. Mm-hmm. They have mad skills. They've survived <laughs> so much. They have yeah. incredible skills. And so narrative therapy brings out the skills that they have. Because when a problem comes, you don't have access to your skills. Sometimes you're so involved in the fear. And so when we make them visible and really restore them and give them a social history, they have the skills right there. It changes their beliefs, the way they see themselves, and it gives them access to these skills and they, it changes their life in really amazing ways. There's a lot of work around narrative therapy and history of trauma, which is quite profound. So it's, um, it's amazing being a witness that as me, like I'm just the facilitator. You know, I just know the questions to ask that help bring people into these other areas of knowing themselves. And I'm just profoundly, um, taken back each time at the, the healing that happens. Hmm. So it's a lot of fun. What, what triggers the healing? Is there a point where you see, is it a slow process or does the healing? It depends. I mean, it depends for some people, but like it, changing beliefs is the, is the turning point. When people change their belief, so they have a belief about themselves or a belief about what happened or whatever, and they change, they see it a different way. And that, that different perspective, they have access to seeing in a different way and it changes their belief. I mean, beliefs is everything, right? You know, I mean, talk, we, there's a lot of thought leaders who talk about limiting beliefs. That is exactly the problem. And sometimes you see physical ailments healing when beliefs change um, because, you know, our issues are in our tissues. So when we have negative beliefs, mm. man, it does affect our body in a lot of ways. And you heal that and they sit taller, um, you know, their whole face change. And sometimes it's so subtle, they don't even know. They feel better the next time they come in. They don't even know why that, you know, the next meeting with you, they're like, I'm like, so what's better? And they're like, I don't know. Just that things seem, they don't even realize that they've totally changed what they believed. I know because I did it, you know, Mm. but, um, but yeah, sometimes it's so subtle. You just, you know, this stuff affects us. Stuff that happens to us in the past, like things that we've been hurt on. And I don't go and rehash the past, but it's what's affecting us right now. 
um, feel, bad feelings about ourselves affect us. And so if we don't, if we ignore those and don't fix those, um, it's just going to affect our life, continue to affect our life. When you're working with your clients and when you're working with people in general, is there a typical age that you see where people kind of come to this focal point of, or this precipice of change or needing to change? Is it twenties, thirties at any time in their life? Yeah, it could definitely be any time in their life, hmm. any time, because it's, you know, there's usually some kind of catalyst that there's some crisis or something or some feelings that they're desperate to stop feeling, um, which could be symptoms of what happened or it could be the problem itself. Right. So they, and they, they're just like, kind of like, I can't live like this anymore. Mm. And there's that hope there's that, you know, be kind of beginning of the dream of feeling better or having a different kind of life where they're just don't feel so bad. They feel better. Uh, and that they contribute to other people. Like once you get rid of these fears that stop you, then you could do your mission in life and you could yes. help yes. everyone around you and just make the world a better place. I mean, I mean, I, I see most of the problems in the world is like people feeling worthless and afraid. You know, when you're afraid and you feel vulnerable, you either try to control, you have to get control somewhere. You feel out of control. So you either get control of yourself, um, which could be, you know, negativity on yourself it could be depression or anxiety panic attacks or isolation or self-harm or you know sabotaging or just staying stuck or you try to get control over other people now look at this like this is the world we live in you know people who feel worthless like institutional race that so you feel worthless and then you know you could you could either take that out on yourself or take it out on other people um, you know we have to fix this people not feeling worthless right. and it's got to start with us and the people around us and then go out from there. So yeah, we have to heal ourselves hmm. and then we could help the people around us and then it's going to keep going out and we have to like really change something because so many people are hurting. And I, that's why I was, I was excited to meet you too, because I, I know you're, you know, you're speaking out there about, you know, spreading this love around making yes. people feel more worthy Yes. Lifting people up. I think that's what we need to do. That's, I think, first of all, thank you. And agreed. I think truly we are on this earth. I think love, I, I think we don't even understand the concept of love. The word love means as little as saying that's dope or that's sick when we reference something that's cool. Or I don't know if you speak like that. And I don't know if I do, but that we've, we've taken the word love and we just have really bastardized it as far as its truest meaning and love is always giving and it's always giving to us and i think when that limiting belief it blocks us from receiving love and if we block ourselves from receiving love we've also blocked ourselves from giving love and the only thing that heals is love and so when people feel they're not worthy. They've rejected themselves from being loved. I remember going to uh, Tony Robbins event one time and, and I'm listening to him and he's talking about rejecting when someone's kind to you and you reject their kindness. So someone pays you a compliment and you, you, you can't receive it. You don't receive it. Well, you've actually blocked not only you from receiving love, you've actually stunted their ability to give love. 
because love is always giving. And I was yeah. like, that's fascinating. We're constantly thinking, I think the victim says, help me. And the, the leader, the, the one that's in pure accountability is like, got it. I'm out helping others. Right. Right. And people flow in and out of that victimhood. Yes. And they, yes. they can't. I mean, this is the thing is it compounds it all. Like when you've been abused, it compounds all of this, like the anxiety and the feeling worthlessness and that kind of stuff, like on top of it. And, and you know, that it's, it's a, it's a problem and it's not, you know, I don't, I don't want to blame the victims of that, that kind of situation because it is harder to, recover from oh, when that's happened yes. yes and because you really see yourself as worthless it's funny because i just just before i got on this i you know we had this appointment today and i really got on here like a minute before we were trying be supposed to be ready because i was doing a facebook live <laughs> on this quote if you don't heal what hurt you you'll bleed on someone else but mm. i put that quotation up and i wanted to explain what that meant and i just came off this facebook live on that so Jody Aim and Live Happier is my Facebook page if you want to check that out. Yes. And we'll put the quote. I will put all your links. Um, <laughs> I want everyone to to read your book. You have you've written four books. Um, you won Anxiety Zero, Anxiety and Panic. That's a workbook. Keep calm coloring, and then the secrets um, of the keys to unlock your dream. For people listening, what are some steps that you just would love to share with them on what they can do to get rid of anxiety, to get that anxiety zero and then get them to one and also um, continue or begin on the path of healing. Um, I think, you know, have people need a community. I mean, this is not my six steps, but, but people just need a community. It's the same thing. If you like need to get out of a relationship or something like that, you, you can't do anything in isolation. What I'm noticing the most in the last couple of years is isolation is the biggest damage that people have, like the biggest problem that keeps people back. And, and sometimes I look at mental health and the whole system and people having mental health issues and I'm thinking, I wonder if all of this is like when you start to feel bad, that's normal. Like you sometimes you have bad days, but it's the meaning we put around it. And it makes us want to pull back from people. And isolation is horrible on the human psyche. It's so damaging. Um, and it you know, makes you feel more and more worthless. And then over the years, like does someone really have a, a mental illness or has that just been years of, you know, from feeling bad once and thinking that was terrible and isolating yourself and then years and years of isolating yourself, like what that does to somebody. But um, so having a community is the most important thing to feeling good in life. And they've done studies now that, that say exactly that, mm. exactly that the uh, blue zones. And also there's the, um, you know, there's a Harvard study that says the most important thing in happiness is like interacting with some people, like um, having happy people around you or good people around you. So that is a number one. But my six steps to, I'll just go over them briefly in case people yes. want to get the book or my online program, but it's um, understand it biologically. So this is what people don't understand what's happening biologically. And there's so much mystery around anxiety that it makes it scarier. And so when I explain it biologically, 50% of the people get better just hearing that because it mm -hmm. just takes the mystery out. So the first step is understand it biologically. The second is learn the lies that it tells because anxiety is a big fat liar. 
Mm. Um, it's, it, it's all, it, it just tells you lies and it, they sound really <laughs> believable uh, and you believe them and it needs you to believe them to stay in power. Uh, and so I like to, instead of just teaching skills, I take down the power of anxiety. I think that's really important. You know, other anxiety people just teach us skills. And then the third one is cultivate your control. So that is building your skills and looking at the power that you do have and, and feeding those stories of power that you do have so you feel empowered in life. But a real kind of power, not power over others, but like a real like steady power. And the fourth one is self-forgiveness because we have to fix that not liking yourself. You cannot cure anxiety and still not like yourself. Like you have to fix not like, you have to like yourself. Mm. You have to trust yourself. You have to build that self-trust. And I, I teach people how to do that, um, how to forgive themselves, how to have compassion for themselves and eliminate those negative self-judgments that hurt you so bad. Um, six is practice affirmations. So that's about changing beliefs. You know, you believe one thing and how to switch it to believing something else because those limiting beliefs are everything. And, um, and the sixth one is practice like daily rituals and self-care, like how to really take care of yourself and maintain, mm. you know, maintain um, feeling happy. I mean, happiness is a, people have to generate happiness to be happy. People are not, some people are happy and some people are sad. I don't believe that at all. I think that happy people generate their own happiness and they have to work on it every day. Like mm. there's bad stuff that's let go of every day and there's, you have to br actively bring good stuff in and you continue to practice that. Um, and a lot of people are sad and they think other people are happy and they're just lucky. And they get so mad that they do so much work to get through the day. Um, and that makes it worse. <laughs> you know, mm. that is exhausting thinking like it's not fair. Right. Uh, but so, so I really like to show people how they're just not alone and they're regular in their feeling and not to discount how hard things are to really address how hard things are mm. and give them a sense of belonging because that really changes everything. That's, that's how we could help people heal. Mm. I love it. I love it. Um, how can people find you? What are, what are the best ways to get in contact with you or buy your course or just yeah. learn more about you? Sure. Yeah. My website's jodyamen.com. So J-O-D-I-A-M-A-N.com. So I have, um, you know, you could work with me personally. I have online courses. You could find all my videos. I have hundreds of videos on YouTube. Um, they're all there in the blogs, or you could just go to YouTube and put Jody Amen in there. And uh, yeah. And just, binge watch them come hang out with me on Facebook or I do some lives on Instagram and Facebook and people get asked me questions live. So I, I think I'm pretty available. I love it. And mm -hmm. you are, you are just a pleasure to, to <laughs> spend time with on this podcast. I am so thankful you, you came on and I'm, I'm just honored to, to walk with you in this world to bring light and love and healing and hope and give people practical tools that they can they can be healed. And, awesome. Uh, yeah. And it's just the beginning. We'll do a lot of stuff together. You're awesome. Thanks, Jody. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. You're welcome. As always, thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please share it, download it, and comment. I can't do it alone. I am on a mission to see the hurting in this world get healed and the healed go out and heal another. It all starts with love. Love for ourselves and love for our fellow man. 
Whatever causes fear in your life has to be removed. It has to be removed. And if it's anxiety that's caused within you, then increase the love for yourself and don't listen to the lies like Jody spoke about. And if it's an external force, make sure you are in a place where you are surrounded by people who love you unconditionally and you will be able to grow from that place to go out and love others unconditionally as well. As always, thank you for listening. My name is Lucas Mack, and I'll talk to you on the next episode.